Mark chapter 7, <coughs> 24 through 30, the parallel account is in Matthew 15, 21 to 28. I'm going to be bouncing back and forth between Matthew 15, 21 and then Mark 7, 29, or rather 24. Bouncing back and forth between those two accounts. We're, we're going to focus on faith this evening, the, the quality of our faith. And as you know from Matthew 15's account, Jesus will look to this woman and say, Oh woman, great is your faith. So be sure to find that statement over there in Matthew 15, 21 to 28. Oh woman, great is your faith. This is the faith of a mother who is beseeching the Lord for her daughter. How many times in life do we look around and we find that the greatest faith is among those who are moms? And moms need great faith. And she's going to receive deliverance from her burden on this occasion. And Jesus will say, it's because of your faith. And we need to take from this and look at deliverance from sin and the faith that is needed for us to be delivered from sin, not only in this life, but in that final phase of life as well. It would be worth our time, and we might get back to it, but Jesus mentions great faith here in Matthew, but if you'll remember, oftentimes Jesus would use the word little, little faith. Matthew 6, when he talked about do not be anxious, do not worry, he said those that worry have little faith. You remember Matthew 8, when Jesus calmed the storm and the disciples were so fearful, he looked to them and said, oh, you have little faith. You remember Matthew 14, when Peter walked on water and he began to doubt, began to sink. Jesus said, oh, you have a little faith. In Matthew 16, when he was talking about bread, leaven, and the disciples were thinking about real food, he was talking about the influence of the Pharisees, be, beware And so he looked at them and said, oh, you have little faith. And so there are a lot of avenues that take us to little faith. But here we have the opportunity to look at a lady who had great faith. So we'll just enter into different areas of this study. And you are most welcome to come in as we make our way into each of these areas. The first area is to notice how that Jesus and the disciples, they are withdrawing from their normal uh, course of teaching. Okay. If you look in the beginning of, uh, of the story in Matthew 15, 21, also here in Mark 7, 24, you'll see they're going to withdraw to uh, the Canaanite land. They're going to draw toward Tyre and Sidon. If you look in your Bible map, to the life of Jesus in the back. 
and you look toward the top of the Sea of Galilee, you'll see uh, Capernaum. And then you let your eyes go toward the left, toward the Mediterranean Sea, toward the top, you'll see Tyre and Sidon. So that's what they're doing. Jesus does a lot of his work in Galilee, especially the early part of his life, toward the, you know, Capernaum, the top of the Sea of Galilee. and works, works really hard there. But on this occasion, they're withdrawing. They're taking a retreat and going toward Tyre and Sidon. Okay. Now, why do they need this retreat? Well, both in Matthew 15 and in Mark 7, you see that he's had several conflicts with the, with the Jews, some, some hot, hotly contested discussions with the Jews, and pretty much tells them there in Matthew 15, 7 through 9, that um, you are fulfilling a prophecy of Isaiah when Isaiah said, this people... They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as their commandments the doctrines of men. And so those types of conflicts have arisen. And so Jesus saw the need that they, he and his disciples need to take a break. Not just a retreat, but some time to instruct his disciples. Because eventually this work will be turned over uh, to them. And so during this retreat time is when this lady from this area will seek Jesus out. Now, notice in Mark's account here, Mark uh, 7, 24, it says, when they get over there, they enter into a house, into a house. You see that in Mark 7, 24? That's a little detail, but very important detail. That means there's an unknown hero here. There's somebody who is allowing Jesus to use their house, allowing Jesus and the disciples to use their house for their time of retreat, for a time of study and reflection and rest. Okay. And so it's always good to notice those things as we read these uh, scriptures. Okay. But then notice at the end of verse 24 that it didn't really work. He didn't want anyone to know where he was, but he could not be hidden. Do you see that in the verse 24? He was trying to find some seclusion for he and his disciples, but it didn't really work because he could not be hidden. Now, why is that? Why couldn't Jesus find some seclusion? People were searching for him, uh, but why? Why? What was it about Jesus that they would they would go out of their way? They would um, leave their ordinary path in life and look for him. He was doing so many good works, like Keith is saying healing people. His teaching was so wonderful. And people knew it. And his power was so obviously from God. And so they sought him out. And even when he tried to get rest, it was difficult to do. Look back to Mark chapter 6 and notice um, 
verse 30 and 31. Another occasion when they're trying to withdraw and get some rest. Mark, uh, Mark 6, 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had not had any leisure even uh, to eat. So that's the kind of attention that Jesus was drawing uh, toward himself and the, and the disciples. So first area of discussion here is just notice the, with, the withdrawing. Matthew mentions it too in Matthew 15, 21. That they withdrew from people. But still, oftentimes when they try to do this, this is where uh, people just found them. And this lady sought them out and found them. Okay, the second part of our study I want us to think about is to think about how this mom is so brokenhearted. Okay. And we've already alluded to it, but she comes to Jesus because her daughter is what? What's going on with her daughter? Hmm? Possessed by a demon. Okay. Uh, the American Standard Version says, grievously vexed. Severely possessed by a demon. And this is far from our experiences in our day, but evidently the demon possessions brought on a great deal of torment to whoever was having to uh, endure it. And so there she is, her daughter, her daughter. She's grievously vexed. Now, evidently the demons were uh, temporarily allowed to... um, indwell people in those times in order for everyone to know and see that Jesus has the power over Satan. But um, we are observing not only the power of Jesus here, but we're observing that this mom was very much heartbroken. It doesn't get much darker when you see your children suffer. And that's one thing that you look at your children and you say, you know, you'll know one day. You'll know one day. Um, we don't want to see our children suffer. We don't want them not to grow up. And, and, um, and be concerned about their own children. But that's the way it is. When, when your child hurts, you'd rather be the one hurting, right? Isn't that right, Paul? If you... You'd rather want to be the one that's got the fever. You'd rather be the one that's, that's sick than to see your child uh, sick. Brother Mike knows this closer than anyone here. And that's the idea of this mom. She's heartbroken. Notice when she comes to Jesus, I think it's in Matthew's account, Matthew fifteen twenty-two. She says, Lord, have mercy on me. Notice that. It's not her that's possessed with the demon. It's her daughter that's possessed with the demon. But have mercy on me because it's just like it's her, right? It's, it's as if it is her. And so that's, a, that's something to see here is to realize how heartbroken uh, mom is. And she turns to the one who could help her in the best way. When... Um, I was growing up, my dad was uh, our little league coach for 
for me and my brother. And then when I decided I might try coaching, he, he, said, he said, remember, whatever you do with that kid, you're doing with his mom. Whatever you do to that kid, it's as if you're doing it to the mom or the dad. Just bear that in mind. It's very right. So we can see how heartbroken this mom is. So first to see how they were going into seclusion here, and then secondly how this mom comes and searches them out and, and finds them. Now the third thing I want us to see is to see the miracle itself. What does Jesus do on this occasion to make this demon go away? What does he do? He just spoke the word or, or, thought, or thought the situation. Yep. It was gone. You see that here in, in um, Mark 7. <coughs> he said to her, uh, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And the daughter's not there with him. But at that point, it's gone. I think Matthew uses, in Matthew 15, 28, it just simply says she was healed instantly. So this is one of Jesus' um, long-distance miracles. Another one of those, uh, if you want to just, for, for interest's sake, John 4, uh, 46, that's another long-distance miracle he does with a with an official son, says in John four forty six, he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he made water to wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was sick. And when the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, uh, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said, uh, Sir, Please come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. And so when the man went home, he found his son was alive, and he asked his servants about what time did he get better, and it was exactly at the time that Jesus had declared him well. As they were speaking, Jesus and this lady, and we'll get into this here in just a moment, but as they were speaking, carrying on this conversation, the daughter is healed. The daughter's, the, the demon leaves. It leaves the daughter. Okay. It goes out of her. And the language there is, it left her and remained out of her. It's just an amazing thought, even though we know that Jesus is powerful. We know the Lord is all-powerful. It's still amazing to watch it come to pass. It's amazing to think about it. Think about the power and control that the Lord displayed at that time. Can you imagine it? Just thinking it, saying it, and it's done, but not right here, but at another spot. So why do we doubt when we know that our Lord has that sort of power? 
Why do we doubt? Why do we doubt? So I wanted us to see the miracle uh, itself. And then the next area of our study will be to see, and I think this is, this is the, the one area that is key, is to see that Jesus knows the soul of this lady. Because this conversation they carry on is a little bit strange to our ears unless we understand that, that Jesus knows what's inside of people. And as he walked about on the earth, as he chose to use his insight, his miraculous insight, he would do that. Now for a statement about that, John 2, 24 and 25 says Jesus didn't need for someone to come tell him about a person because he would already know it or he knew what was in man. He, he knew how to read thoughts. He knew how to read hearts. He knew the soul of this lady. Okay. He knew how far to push her. Okay. He knew how to challenge her to show her faith. So when you get down here, you'll see that Jesus is uh, putting into place what you might call little barriers okay, to build her faith. For example, let's just, let's just look at it. I'm still here in Mark's account, Mark chapter 7, 24 to 29. Um, when she comes, he said to her, verse 27, Let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she answered, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now, not just anybody can say that kind of a thing to someone who is hurting, as this lady's hurting, but Jesus could because he knew he knew what was inside of her. He knew as he pushed her a little bit, then she would exhibit a great deal of faith. I think he's doing this, personally, I think he's doing this not to see if she would show great faith, but so that his disciples would see what great faith looks like. Because Jesus was having to constantly urge his disciples to trust him, and yet they kept going back to their old ways. So he especially wanted them to see how much this lady uh, trusted the Lord. So think about what Jesus knew. I think that's, a, that's our fourth area of study, is to think about what Jesus knew. He, he knew the souls of his disciples. He knew the soul of this, of this lady. He knew what to say to her because his end goal for them and for all of us is maturity in the faith. To be mature in the faith. And that's something that we just got to get a hold of. And oftentimes, unless we are challenged uh, in life, then our faith will not grow to maturity. Look over to Colossians chapter 1. One of my favorite little verses. So um, just double check. Make sure you have it marked. This is Paul's words. But it's... Very important. Uh, Colossians 1. Verse uh, 28. 
Paul says, Him, that is Jesus, Jesus Christ, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Okay. Suppose an eldership met one day and said, what is our goal for this congregation? They don't have to meet anymore. We found it right here in Colossians 1.28. We want to be able to present everybody to Christ mature in faith. So that's a hefty goal. Well, that's, that's not just a hefty. That's the goal. That's, that's, where, that's where everybody needs to be. And that's what, um, that's what Jesus is aiming at here as he knows the hearts and souls of people. Over in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, the apostle comments on this as well. He says, Hebrews 6, verse 1, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance and so forth. The best thing that helps a congregation is not having to go back and lay, lay the foundation that's already been laid on the fundamentals of the gospel, but rather that more and more we'll be able to have that as our second nature and be able to grow further uh, in the faith. And that's what Jesus' aim is here with this, this lady. Okay. Now, quickly, in the fifth area of study, I'm just thinking about this. What are some things that she doesn't need to grow in her faith? What are some things that she doesn't? In other words, there are some, there, we don't know much about this girl. We, we, we know that she's a mom. We know she, her daughter is grievously vexed, but we don't know her name. We don't know what she looks like. We don't know her hometown, really. We don't know much about her background. We don't know much about her husband or her family or even... You know, her experiences. We don't know her status in life. Is poor or rich? Is she, is she known by other people? But all that is secondary, isn't it? Because we do know that she has great faith. That's the most important thing. I, I believe this is why these accounts come at us the way they are. No name, no, no real background. But here's what's most important. Jesus complimented her and said, you have great faith. You have great faith. Isn't it something for someone to be able to get the attention of Jesus? Here, Jesus is the creator of the world. The, he laid out the universe, and yet this lady is, is of such faith that she gets the attention of Jesus. He didn't give out a lot of compliments, but here's one that he does give out. She was a Greek Gentile, a Serenian, S-Y-R-O-P-H-O-E-N. Syrophoenician. Yes, that's where she's from, I've heard. But, you know, Greeks worship idols. She come to worship the true God. Yeah. And I think that's that's impressive about her faith. Mike is making a good point. She's, she's a Canaanite. She's She's from Tyre and Sidon. She's not expected to have this kind of faith. There's Jesus' disciples following him everywhere and struggling in their faith. She, in just a few minutes, outshines them uh, in her faith. And so uh, 
it is, uh, you might say that her being a Canaanite and her being a woman uh, in this society, these are strikes against her, but even if she did have strikes against her, uh, her faith really does come along and is really brilliant uh, to observe. I want us to notice this next area, and that is uh, to think about her knowledge, because if we start thinking about, start asking the question, what led to her great faith, it begins with her knowledge, and we're not surprised by that, are we? We're not surprised because that's the nature of faith. Faith does not have the opportunity to grow or even to get started until uh, we have knowledge of Christ. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Jesus, Romans 10, 17. And uh, even, in the, um, even in the parable of the sower, uh, Jesus, as he taught that, said the, the seed is the word of God, Luke 8, 11, and 12. And the first thing the devil wants to do is come take that seed out of the heart, lest that person should believe and be saved. See, that seed is the word of God, and, and the devil knows that they need the word to be able to believe. And so this lady had a, quite a bit of faith because she had knowledge. Let's think about the knowledge she has. Let's see, Matthew 15, that account uh, leads us on that pretty good. Looking at Matthew 15, notice that she refers to, the, to Jesus as Lord. When she says in verse 22, Have mercy on me, O Lord. O Lord. Okay. Now that's an authoritative use of that word Lord. Okay. Lord. She's not just looking to Jesus as a city leader or even as a head of a house, but rather as the Lord. The Lord. Matthew 3, verse 3, when John the Baptist come. He would come and, and prepare the way of the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. Uh, the Lord said himself in Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth will of my Father. But he is Lord. He's Lord. When the disciples saw Jesus uh, after his resurrection, and Thomas had not been there, remember that in John 20? They went to Thomas and said, We have seen the Lord. And what did Thomas say? Unless what? Yeah, unless I see the, the nail marks in his hand and I'm able to put my fingers there, I'm not going to believe. But eventually he's able to, and he refers to Jesus as my Lord, my God. But the disciples knew him as Lord. This lady knew Jesus as Lord, but she also knew him as the son of David. What does that mean? Right here, Matthew 15, 22. She comes, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. She knew the descendants on the human side of Jesus as well. Takes back to uh, the tribe of David. Yeah. He was king. Yeah, he was... The fulfillment, uh, Mark said, he's the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of this promised one that would come through the lineage of David. And, as Mike was saying, would be human, 
but also uh, divine. Aaron's saying she had studied, she had picked up on this knowledge some way or another. So there she, there she was, son of David, son of David. Be sure to run your references on that kind of thing. It's really interesting. Um, uh, Romans 1, 3, and 4 uh, speaks of Jesus being the son of David. Um, when Gabriel appeared to Mary, Luke 1, 32, this, this, this one inside of you will, be, uh, will reign on the throne of his father David. Reign over the house of Jacob on the throne of his father uh, David. So run those references. and There's Old Testament references as well. But that's what she knew. She knew him as Lord, as son of David. But here's one of the key things. Okay? Think about this conversation they're having. When Jesus said, let the children be fed first, it's not right to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. What is it that she knows about this? Because she responds in the perfect way. What is it that she knows from that statement? Jews chosen for Jesus to come through. Okay. But the, God would also had promised that he had have mercy and bring all of his people to him. Okay. Romans one sixteen. What did Paul say there? Okay, to the Jew first. Notice that. Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of God and salvation to the Jew first and also the Greek. It seems that she understands the Jew's priority in the plan of God. But when Jesus says first, then of course that's hope because she knows ultimately and eventually that means hope for the Gentiles too. John 4, didn't Jesus... Um, sort of allude to this John 4 as he's talking to the lady at the well John 4 beginning in verse uh, 20 Jesus said woman John 4 21 woman believe me the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father you worship what you do not know we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father seeks such to worship Him. So notice what she knows. She knows Jesus is Lord. She knows He's from the lineage of David. And then she knows about God's God's plan, God's, God's order of things, how things were or falling out would unfold. And so this is key to the great faith that she has, I, I believe. Now I wonder how she got this knowledge, Aaron. You mentioned... Uh, I wonder how she got it. I wonder how she found out about Jesus personally. 
mean, Yeah, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Perhaps she had seen a copy of that. How does she connect that to Jesus? I wonder how she began to understand that this Jesus, remembering that Jesus doing most of his work right here on the northern part of Galilee at this time, 30, 35 miles over toward the Mediterranean Sea is where this lady lived. So I wonder, had she heard about Jesus and made the trip in to Capernaum and other places and got among the crowds and listened to Jesus at some point? Or did somebody from Galilee come to her area and tell her about Jesus and convince her that if you ever need someone, this could be the one. Especially you have a problem. There was a slight chance that this that this man is the one. Then I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Yeah, his his fame was known because just like this text says in Mark seven, that he tried to find some seclusion in this house and he just couldn't do it. So his fame was known. So. You don't raise the dead. It's the kind of knowledge Ken is saying that where she, she knew that Jesus could do this. She had, she had full faith that he could do this. Good point. Aaron's saying that, that just as in our day we can obey without knowing every uh, precept of God, uh, so she uh, she knew enough to where she was going to come and, and uh, throw herself down at his feet. So this knowledge led to a very uh, great faith, a faith that has quality behind it. Let's think about some of that, those aspects of that quality of faith. 
she was she was definitely desperate, wasn't she? She was desperate. Um, but in our faith, where do we turn if we're desperate? And in a sense, we should always be desperate for God because we're sinners. And we depend on Him. She was totally dependent on the Lord to do this for her. She had nowhere else to go. This is the kind of attitude that, um, that we need in our faith for God. She was definitely reverent also. What, in this story, what do you think shows her reverence for God? What does she do that shows that she has a great respect for the Lord? That's right. Matthew's account says uh, she worshipped him, and then the Mark's account says she fell down at his feet. Okay. What led to this kind of faith? This knowledge that she had. This knowledge. Okay. Notice that part of her faith was that she was very humble. What what in this story shows her humility? That's what I was thinking anyway, the crumbs. She said, she said, I just, Lord, can I just have some crumbs from your table? And I just think that's incredible humility. humility. And then she was unselfish in her faith. What shows that in this account? Was she coming for herself? She's coming for her daughter. You see the kind of quality of faith that she had? She was desperate. She was reverent. She was humble. She was unselfish. And she was very persistent, wasn't she? Very persistent. So no wonder that Jesus said, O woman, great is your faith. He particularly honed in on her response. Don't lose sight of that in Mark 7. When she said yes but even the dogs, and a lot of people who criticize the Bible, they, they say, well, Jesus was very rude here to call her a dog. But she understood. She was not in the least offended. She says, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs. And after Jesus said, because of what you just said, your daughter is now well. The Spirit has left your daughter. So that, that response is really the turning point of this uh, miracle. She did. She kept on. That's good. Uh, most definitely. Keith's saying, don't you think she tells this story, tells her experience to a lot of other people? Good point. All right. Thank you all very much. Appreciate walking through these, um, this account and these ideas uh, with you.